Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Hello, everyone. This is Carmen Nazario. Josh is not here today. Welcome to our show today. Today, I'm excited because I get to interview a a very good friend and colleague. His name is David Molina. David Molina is an ex-Army captain, and he's been an entrepreneur, and now he's doing exciting new things, um, running uh, for uh, the Republican House District in Oregon. Welcome to the show, David. How are you today? Thank you, Carmen, for having me. I'm pretty stoked, excited that there's some sun still out. And couldn't be more excited because of that. Great. Well, you know, I like to uh, always find out a little bit about uh, your growing up, where you're from uh, originally. And what we're going to do today is find out about your story. Uh, so uh, why don't you take us there, uh, when you, uh, where you're from, and then from there, how, what led you to go into the military? Sure thing. Well, if anybody is listening um, and knows where Hood River is, I was born out there in Hood River in 79. Uh, My parents, we lived in a migrant camp uh, just outside of Hood River in Odell, and uh, and we picked berries. We picked uh, berries, uh, cherries, uh, I think apples is what we picked, and we were there for a number of years. My little brother was actually born in uh, Toppenish. Um, and they did a little bit of a, a farm work out there. And then ultimately, when I was about six, seven years old, uh, my parents separated, and my mom moved me and my brother north and, uh, and up in the Skagit Valley, up in Washington State, just a uh, farming town uh, just outside of Seattle uh, called Mount Vernon. And uh, we got there with nothing on our backs, just basically, you know, uh, basically just my mom and, and us. And maybe 20 bucks, if you can call it that. And uh, a family took us in. Uh, they took us in uh, outside of, a, I think, one of the grocery stores out there. So my mom tells me. And so it wasn't until my mom actually got a job working at a tulip field, uh, picking tulips, that we actually moved from there, uh, that house, to a tulip, uh, like a farm camp right outside the tulip fields, uh, the Rusin Farms. And so we worked in that for a while. And I went through public elementary. We ultimately... Um, you know, elementary school out there, middle school and high school. And uh, I probably around maybe eight years old is when I didn't live in a migrant camp. We lived in, a, in another apartment complex. But we, we moved and we, we followed the crops, right? So uh, we lived in, in both sides of Mount Vernon, depending on the crops. So that's what we did. That was my, my background and upbringing is, is picking berries and picking berries alongside my parents. Um, and then throughout uh, middle school and high school, I picked berries in the fields. Uh, I went to Eastern Washington, picked apples in Wenatchee uh, in the fall term there in high school. I picked uh, corn stalks. It's called Espiga in Spanish with my dad in Royal City and Moses Lake and that whole area out there in Eastern Washington. And I myself have worked in the fields as well. Uh, Potatoes, cucumbers, strawberries. I've driven forklift dump trucks. 
and uh, and in agriculture. And that's kind of like the family background. That's what we've done. That's what I'm used to. And my parents and family, they still do that. That is then, uh, that is amazing. That is such hard work, and um, it's very um, humble. Um, you know, I just really appreciate to hear that. I didn't even know that about you. So yeah. from there, what? Um, what took you into the military? What did you do? Um, you know, what what uh, made you join? And I don't know if you went to college before that or not. Um, I know you were a captain in the military. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I actually was working uh, at Red Robin, uh, flipping burgers uh, during community college. And that was kind of putting me through community college. And I got my associate's degree in 2000. Um, and during that two-year period of getting my associates from 98 to 2000, uh, lived there in Mount Vernon, and, and one of my neighbors across the street, and there were a lot of veteranos, a lot of veterans Hispanics uh, in Mount Vernon, uh, quite a few, and you respected them growing up. We would go to the parades, the you know the Mount Vernon uh, parade in downtown Burlington, Central Woolley. We'd go to the fairs, you know. You would we'd have speakers come uh, from the GI Forum, uh, Hispanic veterans who served in Vietnam. Um, and so I got to meet a lot of these guys growing up in, in, in Mount Vernon, uh, because, you know, when you leave Mount Vernon, a lot of these guys became veterans, they went to Vietnam, but they came back to Mount Vernon and they had wives and kids and they started businesses. And in some cases, a lot of these guys, the guys that I met that I was influenced by were part of the GI forum, which is a Hispanics advocating for, uh, you know, more representation in the armed forces and more respect. And so, a lot of these things that these guys did in the 1960s you know, and 70s, you know, 80s had a tremendous impact in how promotions happened later in terms of command posts for Hispanics. And so I was really influenced by a lot of this in terms of leadership when I was growing up. And I really admired all these veterans, these veteranos. And, um, and it wasn't until maybe in my last year of community college that one of my neighbors, um, I'd go over there and frequent his house all the time. And uh, his name was Fernando. And I'd go visit him all the time, and, you know, we'd go out in the woods, and we'd go shoot off his 9mm and his 30 off 6 and we'd go just have fun and flip cans out there. But in one of, in many of those instances, um, he would show me photos of his, of his older brother who was serving in the military, active duty. And I just saw those photos, and I was just, you know, intrigued by the pinks and the the the, the, the guns and the rifle. I just I was intrigued by that whole piece. And I so wanted to do it. And I wanted to be a soldier since I was a little kid. Uh, me mm-hmm. and my brother, we played with G.I. Joes since I were kids. You know, cops and robbers, we'd run around the, the yard and with little wooden sticks. So since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to, you know, be on the field. And so when Fernando asked me the question, hey, what are you doing after college? You should enlist with me. You should come see a recruiter with me. I'm going next week. And I took him up on his offer. I didn't even doubt it. I said, let's go. And he said, really, you're going to enlist? You're going you're gonna to join with me? And I said, yeah, man, let's freaking do it. So I was pretty excited <laughs> about it. His older brother was already in it, and his brother had came back, you know, periodically for the holidays, shared stories, war stories from me in, you know, uh, in country and overseas, and uh, it showed photos of all the experiences he had done. And to me, it was one of those, like, mature pieces that you would do, you know, as a little kid growing up here in the country, is that you would you know, grow up to, you know, and serve your country, even if it's just for a couple of years, which is my intent. And so I actually went into the recruiter's office and enlisted right then and there the same day that Fernando did. And uh, we both uh, went off and shipped off that summer in, in 2000, 
to uh, to basic. Actually, both of us went. So that so that's a, a different path than what we generally hear. You know, typically, you know, either people are uh, sons and daughters of army brats or somebody in the family. But you were really influenced yeah. by your community. And what's really unusual is it is that it was a Hispanic community. So that's that's yeah. quite amazing. Um, and so uh, you went into uh, basic training, and then uh, what type of other training, um, you know, did you do after basic? Well, after basic, I applied to Oregon State University while I was at basic, and, uh, and I got accepted. Oddly enough, I got accepted uh, to Oregon State University in the 2000-2001 class year. And at the time, this was a paper application. There was no digital archives. It was paper. So I filled it out, sent it back uh, to my friend at the time, and she sent it back. And, um, you know, I she turned it into admissions, and I got accepted. So I got a letter to accept this to Oregon State before, you know, before I, I list, left, you know, uh, training and AIT and all that. When I finally came home in 2001, in February 2001, I literally just went to my car, said goodbye to family and friends pretty quickly, Packed up my stuff and went south from Mount Vernon to, to Oregon. My unit was in Oregon. It was in Portland. It was a civil affairs unit there uh, called the 364th Civil Affairs Brigade. It was civil affairs psychological operations. And so that's the unit that I was assigned to. And so it made sense to go to Oregon State because Portland and Corvallis are, is a lot closer than, say, you know, Corvallis and, let's say, you know, some unit in Washington State. And so I uh, started drilling there as a private. I was a private at the time. And, uh, and I had such a great time there, uh, you know, and then started classes. And then in September of 2001 was when 9-11 happened. And uh, I was in, uh, in, apart- in my apartment. The school hadn't started yet. And, uh, and I showed up to the RTC unit, I think, later that afternoon to see where they needed me. And I ended up uh, uh, signing a contract a couple days after 9-11. They had to get a lot of, a lot of us got in, you know, signed up during that time. And so anybody that was enlisted on campus, uh, I would say probably a good 90% of us uh, saw ROTC that, that, that month and, you know, enlisted or signed a contract. And so I ended up signing a contract which allowed me to keep drilling with my unit, but now it would be a cadet and now it would be an ROTC with the intent to graduate just a few years later, which is what I did. I graduated in 2004, uh, Oregon State University with a degree in political science, and uh, ultimately received my commission just uh, – uh, that summer as well, 2004, and then I went off to training at Fort Benning at the School of Infantry in 2005. And what after? What happened after that? After 2005, I went off to uh, to Fort Benning. I came back. My unit, I transferred units from the Civil Affairs Unit to a 104th Division uh, Reserve Unit in Vancouver, Washington, and I became an aide to a general. I was an aide de camp as a reservist. And so for two years, two and a half years, I was an aide de camp. Uh, and then in 2007, I got employee. I was headed to Iraq. About a hundred of us got reassigned from Fort Riley, Kansas, in the winter of 2007, and got put on planes uh, to Dulles. Uh, all the physicians' assistants um, got sent to Walterina Bethesda. All the majors and colonels got sent to the Pentagon or Alexandria, Virginia, to work in casualty mortuary affairs. Uh, myself and a bunch of junior officers and junior enlisted got sent to Aberdeen Proving Ground, where we would inventory the personal effects. Uh, those killed or wounded overseas. Uh, and so I became a summary court martial officer doing that kind of supervision for 18 months. Uh, after 2008, in the summer, I came home 
went back in the reserves, uh, and then a few years later, in 2010, got orders again to deploy, uh, to mobilize, and that was to Dover Air Force Base. The same person that was in charge, or the second in command in Maryland, she took command uh, in 2010 and called me to say, hey, I'm mobilizing you, I'm putting you on active duty. So I went over to active duty in 2011, and I was there for two years at Dover Air Force Base, where I was a uh, an S23 OIC, which is a planned training and operations officer, as well as protocol public affairs. And I did that for two years. I was on base. Um, I did a lot of uh, trips to D.C. Um, and coordinated a lot with military affairs. And so two years uh, being in that in that unit was just incredible. Uh, but, yeah, I was there for two years and ultimately came home. And then I exited out, out as a captain in 2013, 14. Um, Oh, that's, that is such interesting work. David, I'm going to take a, a minute here to do a quick ad, so hang in there. Um, okay. Today's episode of Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize takes a strategic approach to PR planning your publicity needs in concert with your long-term growth and business objectives. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. We're back with David Molina. David Molina is an ex-Army captain, and he has just taken us through uh, the beginning part of his life all the way up to his uh, enrollment or enlistment in the Army, because you enlisted, right? And then you became an officer. And then uh, when you came out in 2013, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And what happened after that, David? In 2013, when you left the the military. I I left active duty at Dover Air Force Base, and I wanted to use my GI Bill to go to a coding school in New York. Uh, And I found out the hard way way that I could not use my GI Bill for the life of me to do it. So I started lobbying McCain's office, uh, Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, a lot of different people in politics in D.C. that I wanted to use this, and not really anyone really cared. Uh, Everybody really pointed me to, to go to the university, go get another degree in computer science, I already had one degree. They wanted me to go get another bachelor's or a master's. Uh, and that's kind of the direction that everybody was pointing me into, and I knew that was wrong. Um, and in 2014, I learned enough code, I, uh, software development, that I built a website, a web application. Um, it, it was in Ruby on Rails, which is the same framework that Twitter is built on, LinkedIn is built on, requesting, um, you know, who out there was, you know, uh, interested in using the GI Bill to go to a code school. And I asked on the website, I asked for first name, last name, zip code, branch of service, and that, yes, they would want to use the GI Bill to go to code school. And before long, the application, the website started attracting users and people that were interested, like myself, to use the GI Bill. And by, you know, the fall of 2014, this thing had really took off with media interviews uh, locally and across the country, uh, more veterans joining, and it became obvious that I was onto something, that there were a lot of people just like myself that were stuck in limbo, that wanted to change careers, wanted to work in tech, or technology careers and couldn't do that. There was no community. Uh, not not a single veterans organization across the country uh, focused on on tech and veterans, and uh, or, or was or is national in scope. And so I ended up doing this, and I focused my efforts on this on this initiative called Operation Code. And so we started a software mentor protege program where I paired software developers with veterans or military spouses and, and veterans who wanted to learn to code. I, I paired them using the internet, using email and an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, by 2015, 
we had a fiscal sponsorship to, to start raising money, and we started sending veterans to software conferences so that they can learn and learn with their peers. They could be exposed to software development and open source. And so we did a lot of it in 2015, and by 2016, we were in we were a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we uh, had grown well over a thousand numbers, and we were on Slack, and uh, you know, and we just continued to just expand. I got called to testify in Capitol Hill on D.C. Uh, to the invitation of, of, of Congressman McCarthy, uh, and uh, and we did a lot of that in lobbying in 2016 and ultimately 2017, where we were able to move legislation forward in support of veterans uh, wanting to learn to code and ultimately work at a tech company or start a tech technology company. So, um, so did the GI Bill finally approve uh, this type of uh, course for veterans or no? The, the, it, it, it did. When I started this, uh, there were zero code schools that accepted the GI Bill across the country, zero, uh, in 2013-14. And today there's over 25 code schools that accepted they accept the GI Bill. That is, that uh, is extraordinary. Extraordinary. And what I love yeah. about this is that you you came into a roadblock, but you took action. Um, you just decided, how can we fix that problem? I just love it. And of course, my background being in technology as well, that this all fascinates me. Uh, so, so what happened... Um, after you started the code school, but concurrently with that, there was a point in time that you also started uh, a business, right? Yeah, when I started, I started, um, you know, so that when I got out in 2013, I knew there would be a problem. They, they told me there was a problem. I couldn't use my GI Bill. So I, I didn't know how to feed my family. I didn't know how to, how I was going to make it. Back in Portland, I had already bought a house. And so I started a, a contracting company to do landscape with, uh, federal agencies like the VA, the Army Corps. And so I started that in 2012, 2013, before I exited. Simultaneously, as I started thinking about this problem. And so I did some landscaping in 2013 that held me sort of afloat into 2014. I sort of stopped and go throughout those couple of years. Um, and in 2015, when Operation Code uh, had sort of taken off and we had a fiscal sponsorship, I knew this thing would take a little while. Uh, I, I spoke to a lot of people, a lot of funders, and they all made it extremely clear that this thing was going to take a while, that there was no hard evidence or data that veterans wanted to do this, and that getting funding in Oregon would be particularly more difficult for veterans since it's not a very you know pro-veteran state, but military state. And so I knew this, knew, knowing this, I started. You know, I took my company, my landscaping company, and turned it into a construction company in 2015 with the loan of a friend, and we started to get some jobs with the Army Corps. And some bigger contracts, and those contracts ended up sort of keeping me afloat. Um, and, uh, you know, while I was able to work on Operation Code. And so, yeah, I started this contracting company, and uh, we've done a number of jobs throughout the years. We've done jobs, in, in, you know, with the Army Corps, the VA, the Navy, the Air Force. Um, and currently, we're doing one job with the VA. It's my only contract I have. But then I, I win a lot of other small jobs as well with different branches of the services, in particular with the DOD um, in construction and supplies. And so I've been doing that now since 2013 for about five years now, off and on, but uh, while I've been working on Operation Code. And right now I'm almost doing it full time. That's kind of what I'm doing right now to, to you know, bring home the bacon. So which one, Operation Code or, or con the construction? The construction. The construction. I actually stepped down as Executive Director of Operation Code 
earlier this year, Carmen, um, it became obvious that I needed to step aside. There was another gentleman on the team who was on the board who had an MBA, uh, well, well more versed in management, uh, scaling organization. And mm-hmm. we felt that we could do a swap, uh, essentially, and he could come over to the team and be the executive director. And so earlier this year, I stepped down as the executive director of full-time operations, and he stepped in to supervise all staff. We have a staff of nine volunteers from here to Tampa, all across the country. Um, and I stepped up to the board of directors. We did a little bit of a shuffle on the board as well, bringing in new board members uh, with experience in fund development and, more importantly than that, uh, in scaling. And that's I feel that that was the right choice um, for everyone, especially on the team. I took something, a problem. No one was addressing, no one fixed the problem, and we fixed that problem. We took it and scaled it. We became a nonprofit. We put a board together. We scaled the volunteer leadership team. And it got to the point where I felt that we needed a new leader with a different set of skill sets in day-to-day management and operations. Um, they don't have to be the visionary, but could be the guy that could sort of connect the dots in a way that's more aggressive than I could. And so yeah. he ended up taking over as executive director, and, and I peeled and I pulled back. Yeah, and that's that's really something uh, very key that you said there. As a leader, you have to recognize when you're going to a new level what kind of skills you lack and when to bring in the right skill set from other folks. So that that's what leaders do. And uh, yeah. I... Knowing you personally, I know you're a visionary, you're very passionate about what you do and uh, driven. And so uh, to me, I think that is uh, such key qualities of leaders. And and now it appears like you're into a new venture as well in terms of politics. Uh, so take me into that journey. What kind of led you to run uh, for a candidate for uh, the House District in Oregon? Well, it... it uh I think, that, I think I caught the bug when I was in D.C. lobbying for veterans, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process of following a problem along, bringing parties from both sides, you know, different players, different veterans organizations, different, different interest groups to the table to come to a solution, and there's going to be some give and take. And I really enjoyed that part of what I did in 2016 and 2017 that allowed for funding for veterans to go to these code schools. And, and I worked with people on both sides of the aisle, very, very, you know, far left uh, folks and, and folks very conservative, conservative about money, very patriotic folks on the Hill. And so I really enjoyed that time. And I thought, you know, there's got to be more done for National Guardsmen and Reservists because, you know, uh, Guard and Reserve guys shouldn't be unemployed in today's age. You know, they should have this, this, this sort of wonderful opportunity to get trained in technology so that they can serve in the Guard and Reserve and they can serve with their units and deploy with their units, but at the same time have good jobs, good paying jobs, that give them health care and feed their families. You know, these are guys that sacrifice, men and women sacrifice, you know, uh, other very lucrative careers in the private sector, you know, or even in government, but they but they served, they decided to serve their country in the reserves. And it became incredibly, uh, you know, uh, uh, hard-dropping when I spoke to a couple of people in the National Guard in Oregon, that there was a lot of people in the National Guard in Oregon that were unemployed when they deployed to the Middle East, and mm. I found it really disturbing that we had guys, Oregonians, right here in, in Oregon, who, who were just for, the, for for whatever reason they were unemployed. And here I have Operation Code. Here we do vocational training, encouraging people to do you know vocational training route and, and learn technology so they can get a good job. And at the same time, here in my home state in Oregon, uh, I, I was not doing my part, you know, for vets. And so, and then not just for vets, but for 
Oregonians in general. There's a, just a huge gap in disparity that's happening. I travel all across Oregon for Operation Code, and the more I met people, the more I realized that there's a huge disparity between the urban and the rural divide. What we know in, in urban side of Portland is not being shared across the state, um, and, and there's a lot of disruption happening, right? with jobs and job placements and, and people's incomes going up and some people really being left behind. And so last summer I started to, you know, sort of inquire about some of this and I started to inquire about, uh, you know, school board as well, like for, for my girls and, and what they eat at school. I was really disturbed that they were throwing a lot of food away. So those two kind of areas kind of came at a, at a colliding factor, you know, at a collision. I went on a couple of field trips with my daughters and, and I found that a lot of the food they threw away. And so I started to inquire about sort of my background and, and what I was interested in and that I was interested in running for school board. And after consulting with a number of people, it became pretty obvious that and they encouraged me that I should not run for school board, that I should run for District 29 out in Forest Grove, Cornelius, in Hillsborough and run for that seat. And, and if I could run for that seat, that I may be able to make an impact, not just locally in, 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 in Cornelius and Forest Grove, but also at the state level. Uh, was fixing a lot of these issues related to vocational training. Some of the skills that I picked up on, you know, not even going and getting a degree, just vocational training, you know, stuff that's free and open source. And I've learned along the way, you know, starting businesses. So I felt that, that was the thing to do, and I did it. I didn't realize it was going to be like building another startup, Carmen, another business, but mm. it truly is. It's like starting another startup. You have to gather a new team. You have to gather a bank account. You have a treasure. You have all these moving parts. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of competing factors. It really is another startup. And so it's challenged me to my core. It really has. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn a lot. I came in wanting to, you know, sort of change school lunches and, and veterans. And you kind of walk away with other issues. People have their issues. You know, rising property taxes that I, you know, didn't really think about too much. Um, issues about uh, retirement for elderly people, elderly folks who are on fixed income. They can't afford rising property taxes. Uh, what do you do about that? What do you do about drug abuse in our communities? What do you do about rising homelessness in our community? People are being, you know, displaced and they're and they can't buy, they can't rent where they're at. Uh, what do you do about people who want to start a family, want to buy a house, but don't have access to capital? You know, what do you do about that? What do you do about business owners who are trying to, you know, keep their businesses afloat in the first couple of years, but you know, Salem regulations and, and how they're choking small business owners that it's incredibly difficult for them to actually survive past three years and so many taxes going to Salem but they don't see a return on that investment um, you know you see stuff in our schools where kids are learning but the nutrition isn't just as good as it is in other districts in, across Oregon right who are better more influenced or more uh, uh, affluent neighborhoods you know more, more rich neighborhoods and so you start thinking about these things you start thinking you know what this is not right this is not just this is not fair and so you sort of have to take a, a stand what, what do you want to do and I decided for myself I was going to learn these issues and knock on doors and talk to voters in my district and, and see if I could be of help. You know, and should I win in November, November 6th, if I prevail, 50 plus one votes, and I will go to Salem, represent the people of Forest Grove, Cornelius, and Hillsborough, at West Hillsborough, and, and vote on important issues, but more importantly, bring parties together to fix these hard problems that, that all of us are facing, but there's just a lack of leadership. Well, you're just the guy for it, David. Um, I can see that happening. 
and I'm really excited for you. So, so really, you're almost like involved in three businesses now. You know, with uh, you know the um, the operation code, you're still on their board, and then you have the construction company. And and then you have um, you know you're in politics now. So how do you balance that? Um, it's it's uh, you know it's quite a challenge. And like you said earlier, it's like running a new business. When, you know when you started yeah. to run for uh, politics. Yeah. Well, I, I'll share some of the sort of how, how I manage my schedule. Um, I work almost 15, 18 hours a day, uh, but it's not necessarily in. And the work that I do, that's all physical. It all depends, and I and, and you still have to adjust. But in my instance, in a typical day, you know, I get up, you know, about four thirty in the morning, um, and you know, uh, and I get ready for work. You know, they they say you know they they say shit shower and shave. They say in the military, same thing, right? After shaving and out out the door, um, fire up my truck, fire up the excavator. I'm in the field already, and there's a lot of coordination and pieces once I'm in the field in terms of the work that I do. Um, I probably am done probably about 2 o'clock, but before that, um, I don't waste any time when I'm in the field. I usually order Postmates or something similar to Postmates, usually Postmates, and I have food delivered to me. This way I'm not wasting an hour of lunch going somewhere else. You know, they say in business, time is money, right? Mm -hmm. And so food comes to me. So I can either, you know, eat a quick little five-minute lunch, but I'm already, productivity-wise, I've already done what I needed to do. I'm usually done about 2 o'clock, and between the hours of probably 7, to 12, me and my uh, executive director were communicating using an app called Voxer. And Voxer is a, a walkie-talkie kind of application uh, and app. And where we communicate with what's happening with Operation Code, where he needs me, what needs to happen, which code school just got approved for the GI Bill, which veteran just got a job at a tech company, and, and what are we doing to promote that individual on the social media so that other veterans can know that, hey, there's an opportunity for them too in technology. Uh, we talk about those issues. We go back and forth. By the afternoon, though, I'm really out of the field, and I'm back in my office. And in the office, you know, I, I may have another snack. I may work out, uh, but then I direct my attention to the campaign and what needs to happen there. So I make a lot of fundraising calls. I'll talk to voters in the district, uh, other folks uh, who represent organizations, business owners, uh, veterans groups. Uh, and I may conduct, uh, you know, some Zoom call in the afternoon for my office or my phone or my truck, and you know, uh, really a video chat talking to somebody else from anywhere part of the state. Uh, sometimes there's a meeting that happens in the afternoon, so I usually carry you know, my suit nearby, uh, in my office, somewhere nearby, where I can shower and then head over to that meeting. And it's usually go from a sweater to a suit almost instantly uh, to meet other individuals in the party, uh, business groups, community members. We might host a meet and greet. Uh, by the afternoon, though, um, you know, really directing my attention to what needs to happen with the campaign. And then throughout the day, how I keep organized and prioritize is I go to my schedule. I use an iPhone. And in my iPhone, I incrementally organize what's going on almost on an hour-to-hour -hour basis. And I adjust things to the right uh, as I don't accomplish them or I check them off and that's what I did. So I can look at my schedule, my calendar, and see between 25 and 40 entries in a single day to tell you what I did almost on a 15-minute increment basis to a 30-minute to a one-hour increment basis on what I accomplished, what I did where I was at, who I was with, and what address I was at. And you this way it keeps me organized on, on what I'm doing, and am I? And I'm really, because I'm not here to compete with anyone else. I compete with myself and where I was a year ago. Um, You've you got know, this down to a science. <laughs> I love it. It is a science. 
it is a science. It's an art as well. Um, a lot of it can't happen without good mentors and other individuals. So when I'm stuck with the problem, usually reach out. I'm really big into delegating and authorizing others to do work as well um, and fulfill some of this duties so that I, you know, because you can't do it alone, right? You have to delegate and empower others. And we do that all along the way. Um, probably the hardest piece about all of this is, you know, as I scale this other startup with my campaign, it really is a little more difficult and challenging. Even though it's more local, it's more challenging because unlike Operation Code, who sometimes have a work ethic or leadership or a drive for country, you don't often always see that in politics. You don't often see that in a campaign. Uh, not to say that my guys on my campaign aren't as driven as, say, the guys in Operation Code, but it's a bit more challenging because uh, they may be students, they may be already working professionals, they may be business owners, and they're already busy as it is. And so what often happens in a campaign is unless you have paid staff uh, knocking on doors or doing the things that need to be done, you rely on volunteers. And I find that often, at least in my campaign, driven by volunteers. And that becomes incredibly difficult because the coordination always doesn't happen. They don't always pick up the slack. And so you find yourself as a campaign, as a, as a candidate, doing a lot of these things or running around doing the things you need. And so I'm very fortunate that, um, you know, uh, I have a lot, of, a lot of folks close to me who love me, uh, friends and family who, who really pick up the slack, make phone calls, do what they need to do. Um, other friends as well, uh, interns that, that, that fulfill that gap. And so I'm very lucky in that piece, but I, I find that a lot of other candidates running in this cycle are not as lucky. And so, you know, you might not see them as aggressive doing many things or a website or presence on the internet or on radio podcasts, not because of the unknown, but because of support network. And, uh, and that's something that I've really learned yeah. up on here running as a candidate. Yeah. Well, this is a good time to uh, uh, take a quick break again, David, and um, we will be right back to you. So today, uh, CPA Dudes is our sponsor, and CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring, their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the job done. You can find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. So we're back with David Molina. And David, I just, it's just, you have such an interesting story. And and um, I, you know, I know that I know you, but I didn't know half of what I've learned today. So, um, and I know there's more to learn from you. So um, I want to just touch back on Operation Code because I sure. want to know, um, out of that, what is the success rate for these folks that are coming out of that in terms of getting good jobs? I'm sure you guys are measuring all of that. We have a 100% success rate. Those that join Operation Code, those that request a mentor, those that go to a code school, uh, either near them or, or across the country, um, those that stay in touch with their mentors, those that stay engaged on Slack uh, and communicate on the questions channels or the careers channel or any of the other number of programming languages channel, they really elevate their skill sets and, and more importantly, their confidence in tech. Technology is a very, it can be a very uh, uh, intimidating uh, you know, industry, especially for a veteran. You come in, you're gung-ho, you want to get things done, but in technology, sometimes people can be a little, uh, you know, pushy, you know, uh, that you might not be the right fit, the my cultural fit. You might not look like them. You might not wear the same clothes as them. And so for a veteran, you know, this could be highly 
uh, you know, intimidating, right? Uh, but from what I've seen in the group, from when we started in 2014 to today, I'd say we have a near 100% record track record. Uh, of those that have joined, they've been inspired to launch podcasts, doing similar things like we're doing today. Uh, they have started code schools. They have joined code schools as leaders. Oh, that's uh, awesome. They have started tech companies. They've worked at tech companies. They work, you know, they moonlight jobs in order to, you know, fulfill their dream. Um, a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, many of them that, that joined us in 2014, today hold a leadership role in Operation Code. Uh, they may be operations officers. They may be uh, front-end uh, team leaders, back-end team leaders. Uh, we had one gal who joined a number of years ago was one of my mentors. Uh, in fact, we hacked on the blog for Operation Code, and we blogged a lot. Today, she's our CTO, our chief technology officer, as a volunteer. Uh, her parents actually both, she's a She's an Air Force brat. Both her parents were colonels in the Air Force. Wow. Uh, we had one gentleman uh, who finished his computer science degree, uh, a young veteran here in, in Eugene. Uh, he works right now in Southern, or in Southern California for a technology company. And we were just—he was just up here a couple of weeks ago. We had lunch, we had breakfast. Him and I and the executive director. Um, and so we—I've seen a, a near hundred uh, percent success rate with with all these guys. And that, that's extraordinary. Uh, it's extraordinary, it really is, and that's all with the bootstrap budget comment. We don't have million dollars, uh, you know, three hundred million in the bank. We don't have a million in the bank. We don't even have a hundred thousand in the bank. We we really bootstrap this. It's a lot of uh, sweat and tears, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of people who have put their own families, their own businesses on hold to make sure that we can cohesively get the mission done. And that's all that matters, right? At the end of the day, uh, we've had some real positive luck uh, earlier this year with some funding. Um, and some potential funding for 2019 in terms of scaling what we have been doing because they're seeing what we see. They're seeing that um, that even with the limited budget, we get a lot done and we have a almost 100% track record. While you may have other organizations who you might give them half a million or a million, and maybe they have a 30 to 50% track record, you know? Yeah, that, that is extraordinary. I, and, you know, I, I, I was curious how many people have gone through the school since 2014? Approximately. So operation, code, operation code, approximately, right now, in our, um, if I were to fire up my Slack uh, team, which I'll do right now as I'm on the phone with you, um, in Operation Code alone, we have, um, we have 3,645 members in our Slack team um, as of January 30th, 2015. So 3,645 in our Slack. Does that mean that we have 3,645 active people on Slack using Slack on a day in and day out basis? No. Uh, that number is probably closer to 1,000. Um, and then super active probably in the 500. But Operation Code, from what I've gathered talking to code schools and talking to other people, college instructors at colleges all across the country are sending veterans our way uh, as an additional resource in terms of their curriculum that they're learning in their college. It's one of the, it, it, it is the largest uh, veterans of technology um, Slack team on the internet. Uh, there's no, there's no one bigger than us. Um, and then Operation Code, by the way, has a lot of the code schools have a Slack channel inside of inside of our channel. And so when a question comes up, somebody might say, "Hey, does anybody know of a code school in New York?" You would have a bunch of people from the New York team that says, "Hey, join the New York City chapter." And there's like some 100, 200 people in there. Um, and so they they coordinate and they come through. They come on there. So. So you might have a meetup in New York City or Tampa, Florida, but then in the physical, 
And then after the meeting, everybody will say, hey, we'll see you on Slack. You know, just sign up on the internet, sign up on operationcode.org. And then we'll see like 20, 30 people join that evening and say, hey, you know, we're, we're joining the Slack team. You know, we, we heard about Operation Code. We've been a part of it for a year. Now we're joining the, you know, online with you guys who so can stay in touch even more so. And so this thing continues to grow um, and, and build. But beyond 3,645 members, we'd say probably add another 1,000, 1,500 that are not on Slack, but there are, are in our community. They're in our database. So we're probably closer to around 6,000 members. Wow. So if, let's say, somebody was hearing today and they want to join the school, what, where would they go? Can you give us that link or website? Sure. They can find it two different ways. They can either Google Operation Code mm-hmm. um, on the Internet, and it'll be the first link that they find, Operation Code. And when they find the website, uh, it's operationcode.org. If they're in front of a computer now, they can go to operationcode.org, uh, and they'll find a button there that says join or log in. Uh, once they click on the join button, they'll be dri- they'll be asked to provide their you know first name last name, and it's just like a web application, just like signing up for Facebook, right? We want to know some details, want to know that you're veteran, all these details, and then um, and more importantly, once you get your email, the database will automatically send you an invite to our Slack team that says, "Hey, welcome Carmen to the Operation Code Slack team. You've been invited. Uh, click on this button to to come up with your username and a password, and then it'll ask you to you know it's fun to check out." What we got going on on Slack uh, on the browser, but it's a lot more funner if you download the app. So if you're on iOS, you can download it for your machine, or you can download it on your phone, and then you can just, you know, you automatic. Everybody automatically gets, you know, put in general and random. Everybody. But once you're in general, the main thing is you should ask the question. You know, hey, I'm here. I'm a student at X college. I'm a veteran. I just served the tour in Afghanistan. Uh, or I'm a military spouse and I'm overseas and I'm interested in technology. Um, you really want to ask those questions. We don't know what you want, so you you got to really be open with, you know, I want to be an embedded hardware developer. I want to work for General Electric. I want to be on the forefront of, of you know, interconnected devices, you know. Uh, or you need to be fun and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in 3D modeling or I'm interested in, you know, I'm in the construction business, you know, and, I, and, and they're looking for somebody in IT. Uh, architect software kind of guy. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to stay here in this industry. You know, you got to be upfront with what you want. And then there'll be a lot of mentors that'll be available. And there's a, there's a, a links that come up in the general channel. They come up every three hours, it seems like, that I'll say, hey, do you want a mentor? Click on this button for a mentor. I love so it. Just, just like the military, you get out what you, what you, you you're going to get out of it what you, what you put in, right? So you've got to really put in and, and say what you need, what you want, uh, where you're at. Um, and then the more important piece, if you're near, uh, you know, if there's a meetup happening, an operation code meetup or somewhere in your town, that is the next best way to, to sort of continue the learning. What is open source? How do you build a web application? How do you build a, an app? You've got to go to these meetups because that's where the latest technology is being shared upon, almost free sometimes. Um, and then you got to take advantage of the conferences. Oftentimes we'll put on operation code, hey, there's tickets to go to Node Summit or, or uh, this other conference on Ruby. And sometimes it's crickets, you know, because for whatever reason, people don't have the money for airfare, don't have the money for hotel, and we certainly don't have the money or the budget for it. So you got to have a little bit of money, some cushion. You got to you got to invest in yourself if you want to work in tech. You got to, uh, and we realize that not everybody has the money uh, for airfare or for hotel. So we just got to work those details out. But you, but that's what stock is for, is so that we as a team, as a community, can help each other out, fulfill our goals, our mutual goals. Of, you know, you know, learning the code, entering the tech industry, you know, and building the, the future with software. I love it. 
that's that's just extraordinary because when you think about it, you started this in 2014, so that's that's only four years old, and look what you've accomplished. Um, I'm sure all of your Mount Vernon mentors and friends, uh, they're really proud of you, David. I certainly am, um, and you know because I'm in the tech field, I'm always interested. I'm actually going to check it out because actually, even if you are in tech and you're a veteran, you can go back and get uh, more training and new technology by way of these uh, conferences and meetups that you do. So that's good for me to know and to pass on to other veterans I know that are in technology. So I yeah. really love that. Yeah. We're always looking for mentors, though. So if anybody's out there listening who's worked at a tech company, uh, who's interested in being a mentor, we find I, I find that as well with, with myself when I taught when I started mentoring my little brother Victor, when I mentor my nieces and nephews in technology and software, um, is that the best way to get better as a software developer is, is to and, and a hacker is to hack with someone else, is to get them where you're at. And the more you teach, the more you share your skills, the more you learn about yourself, but the more important piece, the more you're you're cementing your own learning. Right, you're, you're cementing right. your own thought process, and you're being better at it. So, I, I'd encourage anyone listening uh, to this that they're interested, they're already working tech, to join us on Operation Code, be a mentor, um, and, and mentor another veteran. You know, they've given so much to to our country and military spouses as well. Active duty who are about to get out. Uh, there's a ton of opportunity in the industry. You know, and, and, and there should be no reason veterans, no absolutely no reason veterans uh, spouses should be unemployed. You know given how much jobs there are in IT in our country and worldwide. So we, we, we're, we're aiming to fix that, that mission and make sure that no veteran is left behind. Uh, and, and having folks in tech join us to be mentors is, is part of that. I love it. And, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, so this has just been wonderful. And then I just also want you to share your other websites, um, uh, your campaign website, and um, I don't know if you're going to continue with the other business, but, yeah, should go ahead and, and share your uh, websites uh, so people will know where to find you, where to find out about your um, uh, platform that you're running on sure yeah on the construction i i, I plan on continuing that mm -hmm. uh, definitely uh we're, we're scaling we just got some equipment and we're self-performing a lot of this work now so we can keep more revenue in the bank and we expect to build buildings in the future that's our ultimate intent is to build buildings um you know do bigger and bigger bigger jobs and hire employees uh and, and soon enough we can you know share more with the world with that uh, we're still just getting off the ground on that uh in terms of the campaign uh, if folks want to learn more about the campaign, they can Google David Molina, Oregon, uh, on Google. It'll be the first link that comes up. If they're already on a computer, they can do MolinaForOregon.com, um, and that's the campaign website. Uh, and I will continue doing that through November 6th, and, and who knows what the future holds. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, Oregon and Salem needs leadership. Uh, it needs folks that don't just think outside the box, uh, but folks willing to challenge the status quo uh, and, and fix the hard problems that are facing us today, and more importantly, take us into the future. Um, there's a lot at stake. Um, there's a lot happening with technology, and there's a lot of displacement that, that is happening now. There's a lot of displacement that will happen in the future. And so we got to make sure we have leaders in Salem that understand uh, where this connects and able to bridge that divide, able to look at the big picture, able to look at the colleges and universities, uh, the jobs and where the jobs are, 
and where the puck is headed. Uh, and more importantly, give the support to entrepreneurs and startups just, just like just like us and give them the resources and the tools so that they can be successful uh, and they can feed their families. At the end of the day, that, that's what, what it's about. They, they can grow companies right here at home. They can hire employees. They can buy equipment. They can buy supplies. They can lease office space. All of that matters, and, and all of that makes a huge difference and uh, makes Oregon a, a, a better place. Great. Well, you've used the, um, you know, the technology uh, to your advantage. I thought it was kind of neat that you said, okay, just put in my name. It'll, it'll, that link will be the first one that pops up. That's good. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, your story is so interesting, and, you know, there's been a lot of sides and twists to it. But what I see is that every time you came uh, you know, there was an obstacle or a roadblock, you pushed through and it became an opportunity to create positive change. And that's what I love about that, David. I love your passion. Um, and you are certainly a role model for many people. Yeah, no, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, I, I was very lucky, uh, you know, throughout the military being provided challenges, numerous challenges. Uh, and I've known that I wanted to build applications and websites. And today I'm very fortunate that I know how to build a website. I actually launched my own campaign website. So what you see is what, you know, what we built. There was another contributor to the website not too long ago, but today is just myself. Um, and so I'm able to make those changes to the website. There is no, you know, when somebody says, you know, what's your status, what's your stance on Second Amendment or what's your stance on, you know, lower taxes and, and businesses, I can update the blog. I can update the website and put my issues up there. Um, and those kinds of things. But I think at the end of the day, I think we're, we're at a point where people got to put themselves out there. Uh, people are looking for transparency. I certainly gravitate towards open source and transparency. Uh, we see that in Operation Code where, you know, pretty much all the conversation is happening in the open so that all of the leaders know what's going on and what's happening. Uh, there's no secrets there. Um, and the same thing with the board, right? The minutes are shared on GitHub. Everybody can see the minutes. And I sort of apply the same thing even with the campaign. Uh, we have a, uh, uh, a GitHub repo for the website. We have a number of issues that are outlined that are more technical in nature. Uh, so if anybody wants to take a look at those, and they're you know certainly uh, there. Uh, but what I'm getting at is, is is people shouldn't be intimidated by launching a new business uh, or launching a new company or seeking out mentorship. Um, and I think uh, if if you just, you know, and it's been said many times before uh, that, you know, the it, it, you take you, the one thing that you're, you're going to miss is that risk you didn't take. Uh, and so had I never thought, you know, that I should actually maybe uh, graduate high school, maybe go on some do something else, I probably wouldn't have left the field. I'd probably still be working at Olympic Fish Company cutting fish open and washing them and cleaning them and grading them and, and packing ice and, and for sushi, you know, customers all around the globe. I'd probably still be doing that. Uh, if I hadn't thought that I could probably be a good soldier, I'd still be flipping burgers. If, um, if I thought that I wasn't good enough, that I couldn't lead young men and women, I probably wouldn't sign up to be an officer, right? I'd start, stayed as a private. Right. Um, and so, so but, but the biggest piece of all of this is that I never really self-doubted myself. I sort of just jumped head first, you know, the clavazos they would say in Spanish. Yes. And I think oftentimes young people, and even older people, they, they don't want to jump the cloud, so they don't want to change, take that risk. But what I want to tell people is, is you got to take that risk because it's more dangerous if you don't take that risk. If you just 
hit idle, if you just sit in that pond, you know, like a like a, just a, just sitting there and swimming there, there's a good chance that something else is going to happen that are outside of your control in the environment, in the operating environment. Something else is going to influence your living environment. Something else is going to influence your work. That you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose maybe your company, your your customers. And so I always tell people, you know, just just be gun ho, just go at it, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, and, and and take that risk because you don't know where it's going to take you. You really don't know. You don't know what opportunities. I mean, I've met the gubernatorial candidate, Newt Bill. I never even met him before. I've met him on the campaign trail numerous times. The guy's so passionate. He cares about fixing the hard problems of Oregon. You know, if I hadn't thought about running or even running, I wouldn't never met the guy. You know, and he. I have people I know don't even know how to pronounce his name, but he's a cool guy, and he wants to fix big, big problems we face in Oregon. Newt Miller, you know? And so if I hadn't even decided to run, you know, a good number of people that I've met in the last year, I would have never met. Yeah. Just because of the nature of the beast. Even Operation Code, had I never thought about fixing this problem, I would have never met any of the other code schools or McCarthy or McCain or anyone else I wouldn't have met, you know, just by lobbying or doing the work that we do with Operation Code and Did meeting all these great veterans and spouses. So yes. I tell people just, you know, you just got to go out and do it. You just damn near do it. Don't think twice about it. Just do it. Obviously, you got to mitigate the risk. You got to, you know, think about the risk. But I think the risk is greater if you don't do it, you know? That are That is, those are such wonderful parting words um it's it's so true and fear stops a lot of people but you know you know i you don't want to get to the end of your life and say oh what if i would have taken that risk well david i just want to thank you again and um just wish you the very best i know i want to personally uh, get in touch with you and i want to thank our audience today and uh we will be back next week You've been listening to Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get inspired. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.